0: Here, just to get started this morning, let's get our minds thinking. Let me ask you some real silly questions, irrelevant, but get us focused while we're getting set. What are popular names for dogs? Kevin? Kevin? (laughs) Kevin. For real. (laughs) I I can guarantee Kevin's not up there. (laughs) Names for dogs? Spot. Spot. Fido. You know, Fido's not up there. Rover's not up there. Okay. Rex? Okay, here's what, here's what the survey said. Dog. That's as bad as Kevin. That's as bad. <laughs> then they had Rex. Then they had Rover. Then they had Buddy. Then they had spot number one was lucky. Name some things people wish their pets could do. Oh. Talk is going to be up there. Pay taxes? Is, is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Clean up their own mess? Anything else you would like pets to do? Dricks. Do tricks? Here's what they said. Take proper orders. Make no noise. Use the toilet. Help with their own expenses. And number one, talk. Here's one for you. What are the ten most popular pets in America? According to this Pet Helpful, what are the ten most popular pets right now in America? Dogs are up there. Cats are, cats are up there. Snakes? Snakes? Snakes are up there. They are. Fish are up there. Birds are up there. Rabbits, they're up there, chickens, they're up there too. Chickens, chickens, to eat. Yes. We're talking. Actually, chicken is up here. Okay. Here's what they have. Here's what they said. Number number ten was ferrets. Okay. Guinea pigs, hamsters, poultry. See, they're. The, you you have a pet for food? That's what that one's for. Okay. Rabbits, fish, reptiles, birds, cats, and number one. Yeah, yeah, you know this one. Now here's a big question. On average, how much does a pet cost their owner per year? One, two, fifty, five hundred, seven hundred, thousand, two thousand, or more. On average, here's what they're saying: between seven fifty and eleven hundred dollars a year. Okay. Yeah, wow, well, it's right. My fish does not cost that much. <laughs> right? Okay, and he doesn't shed. Yeah, and he's gone right now. He's gone. <laughs> why do people have pets? This is from another another thing. Uh, pet company saying here's why people have pets. Protection. Companionship is there. Protection is there. For in what way? Okay. Do you have service dogs? Yeah, yeah. With kids, the biggest thing was teaching teaching responsibility. Yeah. So companionship was number one. Reduced stress was you know like a, uh, comfort animals. Uh, physical exercise, protection, help teach kids responsibilities, and the other one was because of the acceptance people commented because unconditional the the animal accepted them. We are not pets before the Lord, but in a way, does the does our relationship with the Lord? tie with us that companionship that the Lord gives us, the acceptance that the Lord gives us. And so what we're talking about is one of those passages where the Lord wishes we would do a whole lot better. John chapter 11. We talked about this four weeks ago. Let me set the scene okay, in John 11, and then we'll come back and we're going to do a parallel passage in Matthew 11. But John chapter 11 is one of those really famous conversations of Jesus Christ. This is the story, if you remember, that there is an extreme tragedy that strikes some of his closest disciples. It's the family of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. What happens in this story? Lazarus dies. Okay, he gets sick, he dies, and it's a tragic. Now, I asked you last time when we started this section, you know, do tragic things happen? Do people ever have, like we asked this, okay, like this mouse, do you ever have a bad day? And I used a couple pictures to just try to illustrate having a bad day. This guy proposed and dropped the ring in a gopher hole. That's a bad day. Okay, here's one that this poor little kid caught a fish. He was excited, but the, the fish absolutely terrified him. The poor kid, the absolute poor kid. Okay. Yeah, you just feel, you, uh, yeah, I know. He'll never go fishing again. That poor kid was just traumatized. This is a bad day. You're having a bad day. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, this, this isn't what you planned, okay? Here's, here's another, the poor kid on the bottom. Yeah, but he's asking for it because he's laying there, okay? But he's not going to have a good day. That is not a good day. That's, you know, hauling paint. While we were driving, we stopped at a gas station, and she says, they got paint pouring out their pickup. And so she pointed out, and they open up, and they're jabbering away. Their paint was like that in the back end of their pickup. This is not a good day for this lady. See the sign at the bottom? It came off the bench. None of you would ever have done this, okay? Put the thing together or none of you would ever do this, okay? But it's a bad day. Uh, Bad day. Uh, Not good. (laughs) This is not good. This is not how you move a rock or a stump or whatever. That but but I can just feel that's something I would do okay those those are you know, those are situations that we can laugh at Mary and Martha's wasn't one that you laugh at Mary and Martha's situation was that this is during the last month of his ministry people are threatening Jesus in John chapter 5:79 they have said that they are trying to kill Jesus their leadership is is now telling the Jews that basically putting out warrants and trying to get him. Um, and so Jesus is away from the region of Judea on the other side of the Jordan River and the circumstances that are going to happen with Mary and Martha are very close to Jerusalem, which is the hotbed of the Jewish authorities trying to get a hold of Jesus, trying to arrest him. So what has happened is um, is they send a note, they say our brother is sick, they know where Jesus is, and they say, please, you know, please. They don't say, please come. But later on, they said, if you had been here, which tells us why they sent the note, right? Yes, no. They sent a note saying the disciple you love is sick, and then later on, if you had been here, what did they intend him to do when they got the note? Yeah, they wanted him to come and do something about it. So Jesus delays and you all know this, that he delays the account for uh, coming for a period of time and then he says to the disciples, I'm going to go. Now this is interesting when he says finally, let us go, verse 7, to Judea again. One of his disciples responds, verse 8, the disciples, plural, excuse me, master, the Jews of late sought to stone you and do you go thither again? He answered and then he makes comment about the 12 hours in the day and going while it's light and then he said to them he says uh, after that our friend Lazarus sleeps I go to wake him up and the disciples says if he sleeps he does well Jesus spoke of his death and they thought he spoke of resting Jesus said Lazarus is dead and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe keep that in mind we're coming back to it then Thomas called Didymus said unto his fellow disciples let's go and what's Thomas fully expect to happen what does he say the rest of the verse Let us go and die with him. So what you have is the disciples, okay, they recognize the danger that's posed but the passage, we made this comment, the passage reveals that the disciples if we had to describe them, what would you say they were? What kind of attitude did the disciples have? Fearful, doubting. Are they pessimistic? In a sense, is there pessimism? we're going to die. Okay, so they're not super saints. They have hesitation. They have fears. You know, they, they at times, they say, we're going to serve God, but it's not going to go well. Okay? Not, not that we would ever do that. But then they, we, they often wondered. They doubted. And even Mary and Martha, who remember just a few passages before, they were commended. They were commended for, oh, Mar- Mary, you sat at the feet of Jesus. But when her brother dies, She says to Jesus, if you had been here, he would not have died. She has some doubts, too. She questions whether Jesus could do a miracle long distance. She questions that this shouldn't have happened. And she's certain that he's going to make everything much better. So there's, there's a real struggle that were going on, and we just put up there, you know, some questions that they could have been asking in their minds that sometimes we ask, why would you let them get sick? Why not heal them when you first heard of it? Why not come right away? You know, what did you mean when you said it wasn't unto death? It was. And they say, if only you had, if only you had, if only you had been present, and if you had come faster. Okay? If you had shown up and responded much quicker. And so what we have in this passage is when Jesus gets there, the funeral has taken place but it's still carrying on. The Lazarus, where is he at this point when Jesus shows up? He's, he's in the tomb. He's in the tomb. But they are still wailing and there's still the mourning going on. So they're still carrying on Jewish custom. That they're still doing that. And Jesus purposely delayed so by the time he gets there it's going to be the fourth day. And if you remember Jewish culture and tradition and superstition, why the fourth day? The corruption of the body would be taking place. The spirit. They made it clear in their teachings that after the third, going into the fourth day, the spirit will not, is totally separate, cannot come back. Okay? So if there was any doubt, if somebody initially passed and the spirit might be revived or resuscitated by the fourth day, they are clearly teaching at that point, there is no hope at all. So he comes, the body is corrupting, the spirit by their teaching is definitely, this is, they know this is not a um, resuscitation in the sense of he's going to revive himself. You know how you hear stories? These are the, this is the gory thing. You ever hear stories of people who when they opened their tombs, they, it was obvious that they had recovered and they died within the tomb? You, you've heard accounts of that? Yeah. Yes? Okay. But In Jewish thinking, this, this is not even a possibility with Lazarus by the timing that Jesus prepared. My point is this. This story is in the Gospel of John. That doesn't mean anything other than at the end of the book He says, I have picked these signs so that you might believe. And there are seven major miracles in the Gospel of John that are called signs or simians. He makes it clear that these were written so that you would believe in Jesus Christ. So John John writes the story of Lazarus to create belief. But not only in people who are unbelievers... There is belief to be created, to be matured, to be developed in believers' lives. That's why he did this. How do we know that? In John 11, remember where he said to the disciples, verse 15, I am glad for your sakes I was not there. Why? To the intent that you may believe. They're already born again. These fellows are already followers of Christ. What's he talking about? Increasing their faith. So the story in this passage is all about developing belief. Developing stronger faith in Christ. That's the point of this whole account. And even Jesus asked Mary and Martha, do you believe me? Do you believe what I'm saying? So it's all about developing, maturing faith. So your question, my question has to be, what do we see in this text that would have helped them to grow in their belief? What do we see in this text that would help us to grow in faith. What facts about Jesus Christ that are pointed out in this text that would increase our faith? We started last time where we wrapped up. We were just starting this section saying there are three facts. Fact number one is this. Jesus knows. This passage repeatedly indicates Jesus knows. Jesus knows. What does he know? Yeah, he knows everything. In this story, what did he know? What's that? The feelings of Mary and Martha. He knew what they were feeling. What else does he know? He knew what the outcome was going to be. He said, this, this is not unto death. Okay? What else did he know? I didn't read the whole text. I'm banking on you knowing. Uh, when he was talking with the disciples, and they were long distance. What did he know? Oh, he knew that. Okay. What did he know about Lazarus even though he wasn't there? Okay. He knew when he died. Okay. Even though they had said he's sick. He knew when he died. Okay. He knew his condition. What else did he know? You said Jewish traditions. The four days idea. Yep. Anything else that stands out that he knew? oh yeah, oh yeah, he knew that whole system of what, which, do you remember his response to that? We'll, we'll come to it. We'll, we'll, we'll hang on to that. I shouldn't, I, I'm jumping ahead. Okay, we listed off. Last time you listed several of these things. The outcome, as you said, he knew, here's one for you, he knows best how to use circumstances to bring about belief. Yes, no? Okay, he knows circumstances. He even knows that all trials are not bad for us. He knows how to use the trials for our good. Okay? I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. He knew where the disciples needed to grow and that this trial would help them in their growth. He knew what was going on in their lives. We've already mentioned Lazarus' case. He knew the best timing of events. By the way, does this relate to us? Does this come down to where we're living? And we have to say, God knows what's best for me. God knows what's best. He knows how he's going. He knew if a delay is better or an immediate answer. And in this case, the delay was better. He knew the spiritual condition. Now, remember at the very end, when he prays and he says, they took away the stone, verse 41, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and says, Father, I thank thee that you have heard me. I know that you hear me. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you may. He knows their condition. He knows all those people's condition that they need to believe. And so he knows all these things. In fact, when he's dealing with Martha, he knows exactly what words to tell Martha to help her to deal with this. So Jesus knows. There was something else we pointed out. Jesus cares. Okay, In this text, Jesus knows. Jesus cares. How do you know he cares? From the story that you, that you recall. What points out he cares? He wept. Okay. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. What else? What? He went Is that what you said, Teresa? Absolutely. Think this through. Think this through. What was the risk of Jesus going? From a human perspective, what was the risk of going? Getting stoned. Getting killed. Not only him, his disciples too. And yet he cared enough to put himself at risk. Anything else stands out about his caring? I think you've covered the basic ones that, that are the huge ones. There is also several times the passage points out the disciple whom he loved, whom he loved. It mentions it three different times. Even, even the, the people who are standing by may comment about how much he showed compassion towards Lazarus. See how much he loved him that he's weeping. And you pointed out uh, uh, doing the risky thing, he showed his emotions. This is an important thought. Does God have emotions? Is it okay to weep at a funeral? This is is your text to encourage people. Emotions aren't bad. God has, and it's okay to weep. Okay, so don't rebuke somebody who is experiencing some mourning and saying you shouldn't have any kind of emotion. Jesus did. In fact, do you remember the other emotion Jesus showed during this story? We talked about it just briefly. Do anybody remember? It's, it's more than, we, than the weeping and the sorrow. Um, verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came to her, what do you have in the, what's your Bible translation? I have, I have, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Anybody have something else? What? Deeply moved. Deeply moved. Anything else? The end of verse 33. He, with he what? He with okay okay there's the weeping the words that, it, that in the that are in our King James translated the groaning means to snort like a horse that is angry the idea of being troubled is that idea of being deeply moved deeply upset in other words Jesus was getting mad at this moment what ticked him off go ahead Ron let's take a guess at it what's that lack of faith on the people Okay. I don't. By the way, have, I don't have a complete answer, so I'm. A, I'm looking. What What would you think got him angry at this moment? Lack of faith. By Mary and Martha. Okay. 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 Now, when he does that emotion, look at, look at what happens okay let 's make sure we 're keeping it right within that time period. The Jews then they came to the house and comforted her verse thirty one When they saw Mary, she rose up hastily, they went and went out they followed that said she 's going to the grave to weep there. Then, when Mary was come where Jesus was saw him, she fell down on his feet, saying, "Lord, if you had been here." Etc., etc. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the Spirit and was troubled. So her questioning could have triggered it. Anything else? I'm sorry? The faithlessness, of the, the faithlessness of the mourners? Okay. And again, we talked about this last time. In Jewish culture, the greater the noise, the greater the mourning, the greater the misery shown. It was It was a show. Could that have ticked him off? That these people have no... Their, their, their mourning is without sincerity. Oh, yeah. Without hope, without faith. Okay, we don't exactly know. Uh, you know some, and I told you this last time. Some people suggested he's kind of ticked that he's got to bring Lazarus back from where Lazarus is back to this world. Okay, I, I don't know if that's true. I know if it were me... That I went to heaven and, he, and I got sent back to this world, I would not be happy. Okay? I don't know about you. Okay? Not, a, not the way the world is now, right? Okay. Um, so he showed love by allowing his disciples, and this is, this is an interesting concept. Think this through. He showed love by allowing the disciples to go through a hardship. Okay? What do we often think love is? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Here's here's a thought for you. It's hard to let someone you love go through any difficulty even though you you know it'll help in the long run. We want to rescue them. We don't want our kids to have problems. We'd rather fix it. fix it right away. Okay. But real love sometimes lets people go through hardships. Okay? We don't want our kids to have to learn how to Pay a bill all by themselves. Yeah, we, we want to jump in and bail them out. Okay? And Jack, are you nodding and saying, Dad, Dad, you know, bail me out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it good for young people to learn how to be fiscally responsible without being bailed out? Absolutely, absolutely. Is it good at times not to have everything you want? And I have to learn to build up. Okay, so Jesus is very loving in this compassion. God's love is not pampering, but it's perfecting. Okay, that's something we need to remember. God care. Uh, God knows. God cares. Now here, let's pick up this one. Jesus works. In this text, this is about Jesus working. What's the, what, oh, I'm jumping ahead. Okay. He worked slower than anybody expected. Would you grant that that is true? Okay, they expected him to work when? Immediately. As soon as he got the note, as soon as he got the text, they expected him to respond. Okay? Um, And so he purposely delays. One thing you never see Jesus do, never recorded, Jesus running, Jesus hurrying. Never. So as well, God works on his schedule, not ours, even though I try to convince him my schedule is better. Okay, Um, Many times slowing down to answer us is even better for us. I don't like that. I want him to answer, actually yesterday. Yeah, yesterday is more of my lack of patience. And I'm so glad I'm the only one in the room who has that struggle. Okay? Um, he worked in ways they didn't understand. If only you had been here. You know, but now, and so th- those are thoughts. Now, what work did he do can I, I'm going to suggest three great works that he did. He restored her hope. We, we immediately think the biggest work in this passage was reviving Lazarus, bringing Lazarus back to life. That's true. That's a big miracle. But restoring somebody's hope is also a tremendous work of God. Okay, so let's take it. Let's, here she is. Here's Martha. Let's start with her. We're down to about verse 20. When Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she met him, but Mary sat still in the house. She didn't know. Then said Martha to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Really? Her expectation. Her thought. But I know that even now, whatsoever you ask of God, God will give it to you. He said, your brother shall rise again. She says, I know that he shall rise again. When? Okay in the resurrection that the last day. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yea, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Can you have good theology and still struggle with sorrow? Yes? Okay. So how does he, you, you think on this for a moment. How does he help her? She is in the midst of grieving. Make this extremely practical. You're talking to a friend, a relative, who has suffered loss. What did Jesus do? What words did he give? And we know that he raised Lazarus. We know that's not going to happen with our relatives right now in in the same way as Lazarus. What what hope did he give her to help her carry through? At this point, she doesn't know that he's going to rise. How does he help her? What's that? What's that? Okay, does he indicate that in his words? I'm sorry. Okay. Is that helpful to know? Okay. What else does he tell her? Do you see anything else any other com- comments or it's on the same vein as what Bob just said? Anything? Okay. Okay. You didn't, you didn't hear. That's really good. That is really good. You didn't hear what she was saying. Um, he asked her questions to express how she is feeling, what she is thinking, what she is believing to help her. It, one, it helped him to know where she was at, but he already knew. Okay. But what does it help her to do? Process. Process my faith with my circumstances. Sometimes do we get caught up in the circumstances and we forget the truths? Yeah. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah. Okay, so he's helping her in that. Here's some thoughts I had. He, she's disappointed and confused, she, uh, but she affirms that she still believes. We understand that. You're the Christ. She still believes, but she's confused. Can any of you ever relate that that happens? You believe, but there's Confusion. And they're you know, I don't understand. He wants to move her further. He says, your brother's going to rise again. And she holds to the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus made it clear. Believers who die don't die spiritually. Tremendous truth. Tremendous truth. Okay, they're still alive, not in this realm. He is the one who provides the unending way of life. He makes it very clear. He is the one who will bring physical resurrection. In other words, there will be the reunion, not even spiritually, but also in the future. There's going to be a reunion and a, and a re- return here. Believers, never stop living because of him. Everything he is saying is focusing on the afterlife. Take this, take, it is helpful to share the truths of the afterlife with somebody who's mourning. Okay. Don't be trite about it. But this is comforting truth. Do you remember the night that he is leaving and the disciples, how do they respond when they find out he's going? At the Last Supper, how do they respond? Are they happy or are they broken hearted? They're broken hearted. They're, they're going to lose their best friend. Their, their concern is what about us? And he says in John 14 verse 1, do you remember? Let not your heart be you believe in God, believe also in my father's He takes them right away to future hope. He gives them future hope. You've got to believe. Even though you're troubled, you've got to believe. Help one another go through trials this way. Be very, be very sympathetic in that regard. And he asked her very plainly and I, and I think what you had said is so true helping people to process this not attacking them, not saying, well, why don't you believe this? Do you believe this? There's a a gentleness, is there not? That's a sweet spirited. Jesus works by restoring her hope. We would all say the biggest work in this passage, and it is huge, is the resuscitation of the brother. The reason I'm calling it a resuscitation and not a resurrection is He he dies later. He dies later. Okay, but his spirit, body, and body are reunited. He's re- recovered. <clears throat> and there's just so much. Let me give you the third work, okay? The third work that we sometimes underestimate because we're so fascinated with the recovery of Lazarus's l- life. He redeems her neighbors, he redeems the neighbors. We, we see that in verse 45, 42, 41, 42 when he says, Father, for, I'm going to say this for the sake of those who uh, that they may believe. Verse 45, when they had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound. Jesus said unto him, loose him, let him go. Okay, and many of the Jews, let's just stop there. What would have been your reaction? Just try to put yourself in in their sandals, you know the end of the story. You know all the, so much more than they do. But what do you think your reaction would have been if you had been standing there and he came out? Any, any thoughts? What's that? Awe and shock? Awe and shock? Fainted? Fainted? That, that's real. Any, any other thoughts? He's like, oh. <laughs> Would there be some, would, could there be some doubt at, at the first moment if this is real? And then what would you want to do? Go up and, yeah, yeah. Let's, let me pull that beard and see if it's real. Yeah, yeah, right? I won't. I won't. <laughs> but you would want to do that with Lazarus, right? Is it real? What else would be your reactions? What do you think? W- would there be a trepidation about who is this Jesus? This is awesome. Okay. Yeah, oh, oh, and by the way, what is our reaction when something fantastic happens that we pray for? What do we usually say? Really? (laughs) It it answered? Okay, I'm the only one that does that, right? So there's this shock. But this is a true the greatest miracle that God has done in your life. Your salvation. Your salvation. And so he's doing this miracle in the neighbor's life. Here's our thought. Jesus can use any situation to draw himself to people. Does he use funerals? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, who should, We should pray like Jesus did that God would use the trial. This is, this is the tremendous working of God, that God can use these situations. But not everyone believed. Watch the rest of this story. This is, uh, it says, many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, they believed. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus had done. And then there's, what do you think about the others who refused to believe? They were there. Okay. You're there, you fall into belief if you hadn't been a believer before. What do you think about that friend, that companion, that neighbor who saw Lazarus come forth, saw the whole situation, you believed, they didn't. What do you think of them? What's that? Right? Right? I mean, don't you do this, maybe I'm assuming too much, don't you look at people now and go, how do you not trust Christ? How do you not turn to him? It is so... Yeah. Okay, there you got it. And so here's, here's, it's a great sign and some guy comes back from the dead. I mean, really. What's that tell you about those people? What's that? Are they hard-hearted? Even those who experience the grace of God, can they become hard-hearted can a Pharaoh's heart be hardened by what he sees happening? And even though he admits it's the work of God, can his heart get harder by not responding positively? Whew, the danger of hard hearts. Okay, so here's, here's a lesson, and I want to build on it for just a few more minutes. Even good folk, even believers can go through struggles. They can have difficult situations. Okay? Here, let me jump with me for just a brief conversation of Jesus that he has with his cousin. Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11. And here's the conversation that takes place. It came to pass when Jesus had made an end of his commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. When John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And he said unto Jesus... Are you he that should come or do we look for another? Am I I the only one that says, how in the world can John ask this question? Okay, here, let me set the stage for it. Okay, what is John's relationship to Jesus? Okay, he's a cousin, he's a relative. Anything else? What other aspects do you know? He baptized Jesus. Anything else? What was his job? What's that? Okay, was he a special messenger preceding Jesus? Yes, yes, okay. So we have all these things. He's a relative. He's the messenger who announced. He baptized Jesus. And for his whole ministry that he had however length of time was, he preached the kingdom of Christ is coming. Okay, that's, that's what we know about John. Let me ask another question. Were there other evidences that John is a strong believer? Okay, what would you suggest? He did what? Yeah, more more like those guys. What would we call him? Um, you know, he was monastic. He lived in the wilderness. Why did he do that? Why did Why did he separate and go and live and like? What's that? Okay, he didn't. He didn't value worldly things. There's there's more to it, Ron. Before he was born, he was committed to. A Nazarite vow. Okay, A Nazarite isn't a Nazarene. Nazarene comes from the city of Nazareth. A Nazarite vow is an Old Testament vow. Those who took that vow, why did they do it? Your guess is as good as anybody else's. Could they take it for a temporary time or was it lifelong? Yeah, it's not, not always lifelong. It could be you could do this for a period of time. Yeah. Or it could be Ron, you mentioned both. It could be lifelong as well. What did they what did they promise to do? Somebody took the Nazarite, Nazarite vow. Certain things they wouldn't do. Okay, don't touch any dead body. What else? Don't don't cut their hair. What's that? Well, John eats the locusts and honey. But their diet is gonna be more restrictive. Okay? I'm sorry. Okay. No wines. No wines. No wines that they would they would stay away. And the whole point was they were gonna they were gonna just basically separate, somebody said, separate from the comforts. And give themselves during that period of time or for a lifetime, we're gonna really be focused on more on focus on the Lord. Focus on serving, things like that. We'll just stay away from what we look at as comfort. And so uh, the Nazarite vow happened in John's life when he was in the womb. The angel assigned him this Nazarite vow. And he's been following it his entire life. As a teenager, as a young adult, when he's on his own, and so you think about it in the sense that his commitment to God, that he's keeping these vows that were made for years. That shows his commitment, okay? It shows his idea that I'm out there preaching. I'm not, he's not preaching a popular message. Hey folk, what's his message that when, when people came to him, what would he say? <laughs> repent. Repent. What would he tell the Roman soldiers? repent. And what you do now is you don't abuse people with your power and authority and make people do things they don't want to do. You're asking people to change their everyday life and not follow. And he boldly preached those things. He was, this is a real tough one, he was willing to be second man. Play second fiddle. That's not always easy to say I will be yeah, And he makes it very clear. I am not the groom. I'm not the bride, bridegroom. I'm only merely the best man. That's it. And so his comments about Jesus. What do you say about Jesus that shows you he was really a godly man? Do you remember anything he said about Jesus? He must increase great. I, I'm not worthy to baptize him. I'm not even worthy to yeah. Uh, Patty, was that you? Okay. He made these comments, the Lamb of God, he who comes after me is so much more he must increase. And so we know John's faith in Christ. Okay, he's a strong man. Other, what do we know did others say about John that show his faith? Here's Herod, the one who put him in prison. And to talk about boldness, what did he tell Herod? What did John tell Herod? You took your brother's wife And and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, what do you call it, kinsman-redeemer situation. Okay, this was an adulterous affair. The brothers were still living. You took your brother's wife. He boldly told Herod that. In Mark 6, it says, he said to Herod, okay, you are living in adultery. And so Herod feared John. Here's Herod's thinking, knowing he was a just man and a holy man. So everybody knows John's this godly guy. They, you know, Jesus made comment about him. What does Jesus say about him in this text? Jesus says, what went ye out into the wilderness? Verse 7. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, he that wears soft clothing, they're in the king's houses. But you went out. What's Jesus implying the crowds did? What did the crowds do with, in relationship to John? They, they went out to see him. He's, not, he's popular. He's pulling. He said, you went out, yea, I say that you went out to see a prophet much more, for this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger. And then verse 11, I say among you, among them that are born of woman, there has not risen a greater than it's in your Bible. It's in your Bible. It's verse 11. There's no one greater than John the Baptist. So is he a spiritual guy? Okay, is he close to Christ? Okay, no doubt he's godly. Then, where's John at the beginning of this chapter? He's in jail. Why? What did he do? What wrong did he do? Nothing. Nothing. What right did he do? He spoke out against sin. He continued the same message. And you know, some people don't like to hear about sin. Some people call that hate speech. Get, get used to it. Okay? It's going to happen more and more. Okay? So how did John react when he's in jail? Now he's in jail, by the way. I'm going to share with you in a moment. He's in jail for a period of time. How does he react while he's in jail? Well, we just read it. He says, are you he that should come or do we look for another? What's going through John's mind? Is there a possibility that strong saints have moments of doubt? does it ever happen to people you know? I didn't say you. Okay, we'll talk about others. Okay, does it ever happen to people you know? So he sends two of his disciples, are you the one? My, my question is this, why would John have asked, asked this question? Okay, why would he have asked this what what in the world is going through john 's mind? Well, there are several things that could be going through his mind. Uh, remember, they have been together earlier in the in the passages in the gospels. they had been together after the baptism. they also went into the one region where they were baptizing, separate, but they were doing baptism in Anon, in near to Salem it says in John three, and so they were in the same region, yet separated, and they were ministering, and then after mo- several months. John is found in the, in the fortress, but Jesus then goes into, when John is arrested, Jesus goes north. And Jesus goes into the region of Galilee, and that's where he has 18 months of ministry in Galilee, and John is in prison during this period of time. Jesus is doing lots of miracles. Jesus is very popular with the crowd. There's no contact that we read of at all in the scriptures between John and Jesus. Could it have happened? We don't know. Yes, maybe. But nothing in Scripture. I know they weren't texting. Okay, that I know. Okay, they weren't calling each other. I'm not trying to be silly, but the normal ways of contact just weren't happening. And yet there, John knows something. And so one of the reasons that this could be happening is John has been separated from Jesus for a period of time. And then John's personal experiences while Jesus is away, John's in prison for months. For months. This isn't an overnight visit to the jail. He's there for a period of time, okay? And that's all because he had said to Herod, you can't be married to this woman. Herod had gotten upset, had him arrested, and the point is John was willing to do what he was supposed to do, and he gets in trouble for it. Can that cause people to doubt? Okay, here, he, pointing out sin repentance. He ends up in jail even though it's totally undeserved. He did what God called him to do. Do people ever question, why, God, when I'm doing right, do things go wrong? For instance, does this ever happen? You work hard for a company for years, and all of a sudden, they lay you off. They give somebody else promotion. Does it ever happen that you're faithful, working at your marriage, and one day its spouse says, I don't love you anymore. Does it ever happen to people that you try to deal with your neighbors, be respectful, do what's right by them, and one day they get really ticked at you? And they accuse you of stuff you didn't do? Does it ever happen that you work hard at sharing the word, bringing the people to Christ and then somebody that you tried to disciple turns and says you really don't care? And it hurt oh man it goes to the core. You invest in your child's life. Does this ever happen? You invest in a child's life, you, you pray, you fast, you do what you do, and then your child later on says, you never loved me. You know? And they question you. We could go on and on and on that, how these hurts come and you, know, you serve God, you're faithful to God, and then you find out you got cancer. And you go, why me? Why me? Why does this happen to me? And there's all these situations that people can can all of a sudden they just say, hey, I don't deserve this thing. John was faithful. He's human. And yet he's in a place that is totally undesirable. We know a little bit about the prison. We know that the prison, according to Josephus, was small, dark, dank. We know that it was really hard. And we know that John is used to living outdoors. So you take this outdoors guy and you stick him in a cellar. That would drive anybody nuts. Okay, Pennsylvania Dutch. Okay, backward nuts. Okay, they would drive them nuts nuts. And Jesus and John is there, and he's hearing somebody else being blessed, other people getting blessings, while he's in jail. Other people are being blessed, and there's so much there's so much of work of God to be done. In fact, other people are being blessed that don't deserve to be blessed. Can you think from John's perspective? The the publicans and sinners are being blessed. And he's the one that his whole life, 30 plus years, he was faithful to God. Yeah. You know, does that ever happen to us? That all of a sudden other people around us get blessed and we're going, hey, the... the the letter of blessing forgot to drop in my mailbox. God, your blessing fell on my neighbor. And they don't even go to church. You know, they don't even you know they, they they have foul language. What about me? And so here's John suffering all this. And I ask you this seriously: what did John expect the Messiah to do? Hey, follow through his message. What did John preach? Here, I'll give you a point. In his message, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make paths straight. Okay, what's, what's that idea? What, give me an, a simple, what's he calling the people to do? What's that? Get ready, Get ready for the kingdom. Repent of what you're doing. And then he goes on, he says uh, who has warned you from the wrath to come? What does John expect to come to people who aren't living right? Oh, He's expecting judgment. Bring forth fruits of repentance. Every tree that brings not forth fruit of repentance will be He's expecting God to do what with sinners? Chop them down. He's expecting the wrath of God to fall. He's expecting that the Messiah will come and when the Messiah comes what's going to happen? Judgment. judgment. Okay, That's his expectation. That's what he's been preaching for all this time and he makes these comments. Look, look at this. If you, if you don't purge, you're going to burn as chaff and unquenchable fire. John's a tough fire and brimstone preacher. He's in their face. And Jesus comes. What's Jesus doing? What's Jesus doing with sinners? He's not bringing fire and brimstone at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. He's bringing grace. He's bringing mercy. What does Jesus do with an adulteress taken in the act of adultery? Sin no more. Okay. What's he do with the tax collector? He hires them. You know, this is totally. And by the way, how did John and Jesus live? Jesus gives. A, Jesus tells the crowd this. He says, "One comes, who, he does. And he uses the parable piping and dancing." and then you complain, you know, you don't like the song. Jesus' point to him when he's giving this parable is, John came and he lived a very ascetic lifestyle. His food was locust and honey and no wine. Jesus comes and he eats with sinners. Who's right? Both. But they have different lifestyles. Do you think that caused G- John a little bit of confusion? You aren't living the same way. You aren't doing exactly what I thought you would do, just like Mary and Martha. You didn't come when I thought you, would, you were supposed to come. And so, yeah, you know, Jesus isn't everything that, he, that John expected him to be. He didn't know all these things. And so here he is. John could be asking this question, why are the Romans still in charge if you're the Messiah? Why am I still in jail? Why isn't Herod? I told Herod he had committed adultery and he's still on the throne. I mean, why is the politician who's crooked still in control? Why does evil prosper? The age old question, okay? And so he's going, so he's asking a simple question Are you, now none of you would do this, none of you have ever thought this, I have are you really coming? The way I think you should have come. You, know, you should have been here already. We should be in the kingdom. We are not in the kingdom. Okay. And so there's John. He's asking the question. So what do we learn? God allows strong saints to face major trials. Here's your other one. What does God want? Here's the, this is the closure. Very simple. Look at verse 6. Look at verse six. Let me just jump to that passage. He says, Blessed is he whoever shall not be offended. Jesus' answer to John's disciples was what? He said, Go and tell John. Do you remember this? No? Okay. Go to verse 4. Verse 4. Go and show John again the things which you are hearing and seeing. The blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf. What is Jesus doing right there? He is referring to the prophecies of Isaiah that were the works that the Messiah would be doing. And he's saying, The Messiah, I am acting according to scriptures. Go and tell them. Go and tell them you're seeing scripture fulfilled. And then Jesus concludes, after they walk away, blessed is he. By the way, you brought up beatitudes. This is your last beatitude Jesus gives. Ble- but what's blessed mean? Those of you who have been with us on Wednesday nights, we've been going, we studied Wednesday's uh, Sermon on the Mount, beatitudes. What does the word blessed, McElroy, mean? To be happy, to be joyful, to have inner peace. So he's promising inner peace, inner joy, if you are what? Okay? What do you have to do? By the way, it's for everyone, whosoever. What does the whosoever have to do to get the blessedness? In this text, specifically, do not be offended. The word "offended is the words we get scandal from. Don't fumble or don't stumble, don't fall away. don't quit God. Don't quit God. Don't quit. God. Don't quit remain faithful. Remain faithful no matter what. How does that look to struggling saints? I I think despite our questions we serve, we point others to Christ, we still worship, we don't stop praying, we don't stop trusting, we maintain an attitude of praise day by day by day, we don't give in to discouragement, we don't fall down. How do we not fall down? We just very simply remember these thoughts. That what happens Jesus knows. Jesus cares. Jesus works. Even if it's not the way we want him to. Praise God we have a God who's wiser than us.